lovely to be here again uh, after a, a, a wonderful warm welcome last month and a great panel that we have for you this evening. Uh, I don't need to ask who's here for the first time. Uh, the demographics have been established. The polling has been conducted. Um, and I know that some of you might well be here for the first time. And for your benefit, and also to refresh the memories of the uh, seasoned regulars, let me just uh, refresh our memories as to what we're doing this evening. We've been out to see four exhibitions. Um, I hope, oh, I'll do another poll. I like polling. Tell me, uh, who, who's, who's seen uh, two or more of the shows that we're going to be discussing this evening? Wow, that's, that's impressive. I hope, I hope the statistic is as good on the panel as it is in the audience. Good. <laughs> so we're going to have PowerPoint presentations of the first two exhibitions that we're going to look at. Then the panelists uh, will debate the merits and defects and, and exchange views on what they found stimulating in those two exhibitions. Then there's the opportunity for the audience to let off some steam and um, probe the discussion a little further with comments from the floor, and then we repeat the exercise. Um, my first duty, though, the pleasure, is to introduce our guests this evening. Um, on uh, this side of me, Svetlana Alpers, uh, one of the most distinguished of art historians, Professor Emerita at UC Berkeley, author of numerous scholarly works from the 17th century onwards. Uh, and she is most recently author of a memoir of both herself and her, her family, her father in particular, and her view of life, Roof Life, uh, published, I believe, in 2013, strongly to be recommended. Um, Laurie Fendrick is a painter. Uh, she was, she's a professor emerita uh, from Hofstra University on Long Island. Uh, she has uh, shown very frequently over the years. She has a show coming up uh, soon in uh, the Lewis Stern Fine Arts, Lewis Stern Gallery in Los Angeles. And uh, she is also a prolific writer. Uh, she uh, writes a column at the Chronicle Review, which is published by the Chronicle of Higher Education. Um, her essays on art and artists in society is, is a, regular feature, a regular feature there. Um, and um, um, she is a, a, a blogger of long standing. She used to uh, blog on Brainstorm, um, also published by the Chronicle. And David Sally. Uh, a Brooklyn resident of, of some years standing, uh, internationally renowned uh, painter, um, represented by Skarstedt Gallery, uh, where incidentally he has curated uh, a current exhibition in both of their, both their uptown and Chelsea venues, uh, an ex a group exhibition titled Nice Weather. As a writer, uh, Sally's career goes back many years too, uh, he, his writings are to be seen, have been seen in town and country, art news, art forum. His um, essay-length review of the Forever Now um, exhibition at MoMA um, uh, recently, uh, uh, last year, um, garnered particular uh, attention and stimulated a lot of debate. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your panelists.
So Karen Kalimnik at 303 Gallery. David, Karen's a painter who I've always wanted to like more than I find I do. And I want to see if you can help me realize that I've been looking for the wrong things. Um, she seems to me to belong to a territory that is occupied by a fair number of painters uh, internationally, around, uh, internationally and even cross-generationally, um, whose, whose work is imbued by um, nostalgia, romanticism, um, and a sense of nostalgia and romanticism, not just for um, the, the literature and the, the lore of the past, but also for painting styles of the past, um, but one that's also filtered through a contemporary sensibility, strongly informed by a sense of identity, perhaps by issues of sexuality or, or gender, gender or sexuality. So um, others in that camp would include Paul P. or uh, Elizabeth Payton, um, uh, Duncan Hanna. One could rattle off any number of names. Well, one could rattle, I could rattle off a number of names who are painters who I really dig. I get that what they're doing. Kalimnik, complicated. Am I looking for the wrong things if I'm looking for identity and nostalgia? Can you hear me? Yes. Looking at the wrong things. I think that, uh, I should say, first off, I'm, I've always been a pretty much of a fan of Karen's work. I think she draws like an angel. And the comparisons to the other artists you mentioned are, 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 are sort of instructive because whatever it is that she's doing that is in common with what those people are doing, she does it better. So what does better mean? What does better look like? I'm personally not interrogating her work um, in terms of identity or even sexuality or the narrative is more of a kind of a perfume that a nice perfume that lingers, but what makes them work when they work is just the, the, the touch and the pictorial conception. I'm not so, I have to say I was a little underwhelmed by this particular show. There's um, this thing that happens with everybody at a certain point, a certain age, I don't know how old Karen is, but where you're, relationship to your own material starts to get thin, starts to thin out through repetition, through its inherent limitations perhaps, through its, uh, I don't know, whatever the hell reason it is. And every artist you can think of has to pass through that, has to confront that, either passes through it, gets stuck there, there are t certain times, I'll give you a couple of anecdotes. There, I was once, it sounds rather digressive, I guess it is, I was once in a, uh, on a junket to uh, Basel to see some Canadian group show, and we were taken, I was, not, I was in the show, I'm not being Canadian, but I was there for, for social reasons. So we were taken to see a museum devoted to uh, toy trains, and 
you can imagine in the Swiss countryside outside of Basel, the kind of place you'd go and the kind of loving care lavished on train sets and little dolls. And, and it was really something uh, astonishing and tiny bit alarming about it. And someone who was on the tour, uh, I think it was A.A. Bronson actually said, this is way more about the Swiss than I want to know. <laughs> with, with this show, Karen has tipped her hand a little too much. But the paintings as paintings yes. are okay. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Excuse me, you mean American? You were talking about something being too Swiss. And we, would we put American in instead of Smith? Is that what you mean so by just the, the, no, um, to, to the, uh, to the, 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 um, this, what this, you meant by tipped her hand. The, um, the narrative conceit, the cat, yeah. the, the spoiled animal, the, um, I don't, I have no quarrel with any of it. I mean, it's all fine, but the, the, um, and when we've all painted China, I've, all, I've made paintings of China plates. It's a great painting device. But what's good about it, when we're seeing now, is the the um, understanding how to make a notational space, how to make a space with notational uh, uh, gestural painting which is something that only comes with you know, kind of pictorial intelligence and a lot of practice. So, right. so the color is also quite skewed, something it's not a naturalistic color, obviously. I think the, the other painting, the, the Fête Galant, the, the, the Hunt paintings, the paintings that were in the back room. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to, yeah. Yeah, they, were, yeah. they really were, they did what her work is, does. They delivered sure. So image. Laurie, do you think that, um, uh, do you think she paints like a, like an angel? Uh, I said draw. draw. Do you think she draws like which an angel? Is, which is very different. Okay, yeah. do you think she draws like an angel? Do you think she does anything like an angel? <laughs> Can you hear me? Okay, so, uh, no. Uh, short answer is no, and um, I'm gonna go right for the like jugular here. This was my least favorite show of the four that we looked at. Uh, I recognize the ambition. Uh, I wanted to, I see the seriousness of the artist in trying to be charming and convey wit, but um, as an inveterate uh, Facebook cat video, cute photo cat, I have two main coon cats person, who also has uh, Nico Atsume as an app on my uh, phone and I am collecting cats. I know about cute cats, I think it fell flat. I thought the collages were incredibly heavy handed and the titles were uh, just, you know, I mean, I'm poor at that sort of thing and I could have done better than the adoration, my turn, please. The best collages were the rooms with the little cats placed in them, the three generals having their little, or four generals having their meeting was, secret meeting was the best one and they all well crafted, but I think the irony is so heavy handed that that crushes the charm. As to the paintings, yeah, she's got a wonderful facility with the brush. Uh, but, you know, glitter is, I can't get past the seventh grade princess party deal. And, uh, I mean, I remember when Peter Alexander, the LA light and space artist, 
uh, made those glitter paintings on black velvet and I almost gagged. And I'm not about to turn around and say, well, this is done with a sort of, you know, second degree removal irony and like them. I don't. I don't like glitter in paintings. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think the glitter was the glitter wasn't ironic. You either, you either like glitter or you don't. You think, I you, don't like you it. think it helped the painting or it didn't? It wasn't ironic glitter. Gets oh, on the floor. Um, <laughs> there are some mediums which just can't escape um, their prior use and 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 their connotations. I think. I mean, paint is generally kind of transparent in that sense. Whereas uh, if you use confetti, it's hard not to think of somebody getting married. You know. I mean, so, I think I think the point but, is the point is she didn't need the glitter. Right. What you were saying is the glitter was um, extraneous and it just. But made, the gl glitter away. is is almost inherently a collage element unless you really work hard to use it in some other way. I mean, Catherine Bradford's glitter isn't isn't glitter in that sense. But um, Svetlana, um, intentional. Um, intentional irony or in, uh, no, 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 look, posturing? I'm, I'm going to go back to what I, what I said when you said tipped her hand. I thought you meant, because you've been talking about Swiss trains, American. This seemed to me such an American show. I go back, and I'm partly now going to talk about the European backdrops for all of this, what she's putting them on, right? There's a kind of um, weakness in relationship to it. I come from a European tradition where Tiepolo looked to, uh, uh, looked to Veronese for the armature for his performance, where Manet looked at the mystery and the magic of Velasquez and knew he could never do it. These were serious engagements with past art. I consider this just sort of trivial. What on earth is going on here? Does she care about this art she's taking on? But she doesn't, in fact, the answer is no. That really is the wrong question to ask. That's not the way in which the European art here is engaged. Well, I would just say, a show like this makes me angry. And it makes me angry because I think it's letting painting down. I care a hell of a lot about painting. And this, program, this show, I know nothing of her art before, so I can't measure it. Several people have said to me, this is really not up to snuff, Svetlana. So I accept that. But this show really, I found depressing. And what tempers my anger is to try to think, how does she get here? How did she do it? And it seems to me it is coming from European art and from the history. It's a kind of shyness and willful um, gentleness toward another art. In other words, she's not taking it on. There's no aggression. There's no possession. It's just kind of play. Well, it, I see her as an. Uh, she's an ironist. I, I see. I, I think well, that we David, can't. We David, can't. Uh, David, why no, do you, no, why I think do you keep no. saying she's an ironist. I'm going to. It's so. It's so clearly not the case. She's a sinceritist, Whatever that. Whatever that. Right. Uh, I agree. There's no irony here. That's just not. That's just not right. You can well, say this. You can say the the romanticism comes up short. There's a faintness. Uh, it's, uh, it's undigested. But it's not ironic. I don't believe somebody making public exhibitions and, and commanding the sort of authority that she, she does can do so in complete um, innocence and present herself as a kind of total ditz. What, what's, ir what's ironic is, is the, no, I think, no, seriously, 
if you, if you present, it's, it's presenting yourself as a sort of holy fool. That the quality that Svetlana is objecting to is a, a, a lack of toughness and resolution in taking on the greats of uh, European painting and breaking open and extending the language. That whole modernist project is of utter irrelevance in an artist like Karen Kralimnik, precisely because even if she personally doesn't have the irony that David insists she doesn't have, she belongs to a generation that collectively is, as it were, poisoned by irony. Well, I, I, want, to, I want to second the irony here. I mean, I think uh, to miss the irony is to miss the friggin' elephant in the room. Right, it's like, right. It's like, excuse me, excuse me. Laurie, irony, where, 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 what, what do I mean what, by What's ironic? Ironic is to distance yourself. No, no. here. Oh, what yeah. is ironic? Here. To take show, a show us. Well, right. I'm not going to take the individual. Don't worry about the individual. Yeah. What's, what? To take. Well, how is she these, ironic? Uh, uh, these actual reproductions of what were tenderly, beautifully crafted, developed works of art, and stick cute cats on them, is is wait. Let me finish. Is distancing us from those original, beautifully felt, crafted elegantly uh, exquisite works of art so that we don't feel them anymore. We feel her interference with them. That's what irony is. It puts something between you and the sincere response to the It's a painting of loss. It's not a painting of irony. It's saying, oh, it's not irony. I don't see a bit of romance in it. Romance is loss. Romance Mm. is nostalgia. I didn't see longing for that stuff. I saw almost mocking it a little bit. The wit of the cats overwhelmed those original well, works Well, the collages art. are just no good. Let's, let's not talk about the collages. Okay, so if we forget the about, collages, that was the, half the show. Talk about the painting. More. <laughs> okay, sorry, I'll forget half the show. And now what am I supposed to look at? Just the paintings? I mean, she put them together. It's her right. show. It's one show. That's the thing with her. And also with her, there's always, you know, there's always an installation aspect that just doesn't work well, as insulation. Yeah, what, what's Can we forget that what's as well? Interesting, what? <laughs> what's interesting to think about mm. is the way it happens all the time. Some artists can be their own worst enemy. Mm. No one ever said artists are good editors of their own work. Um, that artists take, the, you know, take a you know, wrong turn, keep on going. It can sometimes be interesting again, but it's not, I, I don't feel, I personally feel the need to be the traffic cop here. I think. You know, there's a, a show can have be composed of many different elements. Some work, some don't. To me, that's okay. And it's actually more interesting to try to differentiate between, you know, the, the different levels of engagement and qualities. Collages, collage is a tough thing to make work in a Chelsea gallery, and not surprisingly, it didn't work. The paintings are interesting as if they are, and I'm not making great claims for them, um, as a, to see what she can do with a kind of pictorial space, which is not not entirely convincing, but not entirely unconvincing. And it's sort of- That's a very formal, that's a very formal analysis, which one is always entitled to. But when the paintings are part and parcel of an exhibition that includes installation and collage, it seems to me that the, the, the total message is one in which the paintings are one element that's folded in, and one can't just say, well, just sort out here what's best in the show, ignore two-thirds of it, and then extol a certain formal element in the 
the one-third of the show we are enjoying, that seems to me sort of irresponsible. We need to grapple and understand what the show is saying about, about the past, about I don't think it's saying anything. Feelings. I think, I think yeah. if there's one good painting in a show, it's a pretty good show. Yeah. And I don't think it shows not saying anything in particular. It's saying, it's, the show is saying, I like these things, I painted these things. That's, I don't know what else it would be saying. Well, that's kind of like what her cats are doing, you know? I like this meal, I whatever. I think there's more of a response than I like it, I don't like it. And I want to throw in, I have, cats could I paint. take umbrage at a painter who sticks paintings into light situation where you can't see them. And I don't know what that's about, but it's humiliating painting. And I call that ironic toward painting. So you may not call it irony, but I think there was a lot of irony in the show. And frankly, in 2016, I'm really tired of irony. You got to be really good at it. You got to be Jane Austen and have a light touch. Perhaps instead of calling it irony, we could call it a a, a deconstructive attitude towards painting. Is that is that possible? That it's basically it's, Fair it's, it's not it's not willing to occupy painting as um, uh, a, a means to it's not it's not taking total possession within painting. It's you, it's an I, it's. Uh, Let's call it patchwork. Okay. Patchwork. It's not. What was the word you used just now? You said it's a what attitude for painting? I can't remember what you just said. I dared to say deconstructive. Well, I think okay. patchwork is a I, I more it's appropriate like, it's like way. Patchwork is just Anglo-Saxon for deconstructive. Come on. <laughs> but you said that she's better, for instance, than Elizabeth Payton. I think Elizabeth Payton gets a totality of feeling through and presents the depth of alienation from mediated imagery, from the well, old you, masters well, you, you, that she you're can't just, You're just reading emulate. so much into these. The, right. The, you're just what, so whereas Klimnik is sort of doing all that, but in quotes and cheesy small frames and lots of space between the works and an but, installation that falls flat and the collages which you rightly write off. So it seems to me I, there must be something else that I'm missing. Uh, what, you, what are you missing exactly? Well, they're very, they're very different. First place, Elizabeth Payton is not Karen Kalimnik and vice versa. They both draw very, very well. Karen draws more fancy, fancifully, and Elizabeth draws um, more, the business of depiction is more, uh, is more straightforward. Yeah. Um, but would you say that there's a, a, an intentional awkwardness in Karen, Wilkid, in Karen uh, Kalimnik's hand? I think she draws so gracefully. I don't know how you can find Graceful. awkward. The, but drawing, again, drawing is different from painting. So the two things don't come together in the work. But that's true for many people. Well, I mean, whether it's drawn or painted, there's a hand that's, um, that's, that's uh, rendering certain forms that existed already in the medium of choice. So uh, I find, whether it's drawn or painted, that in, with her, there's a kind of intentional, awkward feignness to the drawing. I, I, you, mean, I, you mean like Picasso? I mean, why is, that, why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. No, I'm just, I'm just trying to ascertain for sure that it is intentional, that it should be... Um, awkward and shy and tentative, and be getting something emotional across wait, by wait, being wait, wait. Wait, this, this by is, lacking this, bravura. I'm sorry, this is where we have to, yeah, really kind of clean this up a little bit. Oh, let's clean wait, it up. Okay, every, let, let's assume everything she does, everything every artist does, is deliberate. Yeah. So if it's awkward, it's deliberate awkwardness. But it's 
you cannot say that her drawing is shy. There's no, find the shy, show me the shy line. Well, I think if we were standing in front of individual ones, I would say, look, the way she's rendered that form is a bit cack-handed, but in a charming way, a folkloristic, charming way. Now, you can get to a folkloristic, charming cack-handedness, either by having the intention of being folkloristic or by being cack-handed. So that, therefore, is an intentional distinction, and therefore one comes back to the probability of irony. Does that make logical sense? I think you're beating a dead horse. Makes, makes no sense at all. <laughs> Incredibly unnecessary because about her. I about just her. Don't think right. we got enough in that show okay. that we can deeply dig into, David. So, okay. Lana, could you please I'm use the microphone? Sorry, I'm asking Svetlana to use. Oh, the microphone. sorry. I don't think there's enough in the show that we can deeply dig, dig into, into, and you are doing it. That's why I said beating a dead horse. I'm not talking right. about her as an artist. I'm talking about the evidence we have right now. There's two things at play. One is what we think of Karen Klimnik, and the other is that the two Davids have a difference of opinion about intentional awkwardness. I was dealing with the latter, but you're probably right on the former. So let's, if we may, move our attention to art of an extremely different nature, uh, the exhibition at the Artist Space uh, by Cameron Rowland. Um, and as Svetlana moved us along from Klimnik, she can have the honor of starting us off on Rowland. Um, this is also an exhibition that might require a little help and thought for the skeptic. So what did you get from his show? Well, in this case, amazingly, Roberta Smith got it absolutely right. She wrote, she wrote a, a review. Okay, in this case, Roberta Smith got it absolutely right. Um, I first found out about this exhibition because of reviews she wrote in the Times, and she said this is a history lesson and an aesthetic experience. That's right. And what came to mind then, and this is what got me to look at it, all art that's made is necessarily of its time. In other words, it's inevitable that you're of your time without even addressing it. In other words, artists work in some ways connected to their time, and that for me is an argument for simply making art and not dragging in and making a huge fuss about politics. You make your art, you're of your time, you cannot avoid it. You don't have to take up a political event in order to be of your time, you just are. But on the other hand, if like this artist, you do take up something historical, then the question comes up, well, how does it work out? And what came to mind for me was, how would this work, I hadn't yet seen it, fit on a line between, let's say, Hans Hacke on one side and, uh, and Hammonds on the other. Hacke being preeminently political and Hammonds being just a genius at making that art. Right? David and Hammonds, yes. David Hammonds. And how would this art fit into that? Well, I would say that this artist is very young, and I would say he's on the Hammonds side, but certainly he doesn't live up to David Hammonds. It doesn't have the bite. It doesn't have the assault on us, that eerie, canny beauty that Hammonds can bring up when he's dealing with a tricky issue, and also making eerily beautiful art. Great. So, Lana, let's now, actually establish, however, okay. what he is doing okay. uh, and what the, show okay, is, what the show is that about. That is what my introduction, I'm giving you Good. how I got there, okay? Right. <laughs> now, the name of the show, which is 910200, is the customer number of Artist Space with Corecraft, Correctional Industries. 
he got this artist space to, to sign up with the industry which sells products made by prison inmates in New York prison, prisons. So prisoners are forced to work for a pittance for somebody else's profit. Now, as you can see from this show, a spare sample of these prison-made products are set forth in a sculptural way in this beautiful artist space space. It's splendid, large, daylit, and here are these things. <clears throat> a metal L-shaped desk, four wooden benches, an arranged pile of, pile of steel circles for leveling manhole covers, two pairs of lashing bars for lashing goods onto a ship, uh, two firemen's suits hanging on the wall, one yellow, one red, and all that is at a distance when you enter the huge space. It is not, they are not enhanced, you might say they're dehanced. In other words, they're not made much of. You walk in and you look, you know, what are we coming to see? And that's done on purpose. He's not throwing it in your face, he's being very modest about the way they're presented. At least that's how I read it. An and then finally, pardon me? An intentional underwhelmingness. An intentional dehancing is what I'm saying. And then on the wall are two <laughs> tiny insignias of membership in an ex-slave mutual relief association who never ever knew such a thing existed, he did. Now the show is an installation and almost all the reviews, and it is on the cover of this month's art forum now, one of those steel bars is on the cover, so people are paying attention. But the attention, curiously, is mostly political. Nobody says, well, what is it like as an installation, which I think is the really throb of the show. Let's, okay, so, 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 let's, now, let's what, now all address that. Svetlana, Svetlana put your notes away, because that's what no, we're going to address. I want to say what that is. Well, Excuse you will me, come back, we'll come back to you. No, no, you're Do giving we, a speech. No, a real, we're not here to give a look. No one came from I, that. I, I, I really want to really ask a question. A lot of people, everyone else wants to say things. I have something. How would you make it, how would he make it better? How would he have made it better? I think he would have been hammered to make it better. Use in the other mic. Words, what does that mean? What does that, what does that okay. look like? Yeah, when you say, when you say he'd have done it better, that suggests there's, these, a, I mean, there's a gold the way, bar, a gold standard. In the way that he is well, he's, he's presenting not, he's, these objects. Yeah, he's, well, he he's, prese he's presenting, he's not making. Yeah. I'm going to be right. Hillary Clinton and butt yeah. in with Bernie. But Hitler. he's presenting I, it. Look, I, I would like but, a chance to yeah. say something that's very different from this. I'm a painter, and I expected to go there and be off-put. Because that's how I usually am with research-based art, large installations with uh, a post-minimalist feel to them. I knew kind of what it was going to look like. I think he's a major artist in the making. I think it's a powerful show. I think that it takes time. It's a show that asks that you read his essay, which is fantastically well-written, it's clear, it's argumentation along with some rhetoric, but that's tamped down. It has a goal. He's arguing for reparations in that. I have always dismissed the argument for reparations. First time in my life, little white girl, that I actually felt in my gut that reparations are called for. And I'm not going to go into the facts and statistics he dryly puts forth in the essay. It's absolutely imperative to feel the profundity of this show to read that essay and then feel that yeah. space because it's the very sparseness that yeah. points to the way we walk around sitting, doing our jury duty and sitting on those benches and not knowing. Right. They're made by right. prisoners 
60% uh, what's the, the statistic? 60% are either black or, his, or Hispanic in our jails. We have the highest incarceration rate in the world, and we sit on those benches in our jury duty that are made by those prisoners. I felt sick to my stomach, and I want to finish with that little book that's sitting on the desk that he put there as part of the installation. I went to the website after, I think it's NSIA. It's this horrible organization with this bland bureaucratic title with all the little goodies you can buy, mm -hmm. you can buy that are yeah, made by horrible. prisoners. I think it's the most powerful installation show I have seen in years. I think he blows David Hammonds away. Uh, do you think that, uh, did you, did you? It's did what you, makes horse race. Did, is, it, is it the essay that forced you to look more carefully at the work, or is it the work that moved you to read the essay? I would never have been moved by the work without no, the I essay. I was, see, I disagree with you. I think that space, which after all, this great, who is a space in which, it's a, it's, it's a cast iron building, a space in which labor took place, certainly in past times, and in which goods were stored. Yeah, but it's and not now about we're labor. In, and when you look at it, you are in this kind of great lit space, but a place of labor. It's a kind of prison. It's a kind of prison in glass. In other words, it's open, but it's absolutely a trap. So I felt that the actual sight of the work was absolutely essential to one's sense of it. So I don't <coughs> think it's reading all of that. I think it's the look of it. Okay, David, David, uh, Sally, what did marriage. you, David, did you feel that the space was a, uh, did you feel it was the objects moving you to the essay? Well, there, there are a couple of things here. Um, I don't know why you're comparing him to David Hammonds in the first place. I think it's kind of wrong. Yeah. One I mean, person makes things, one person places things. They have very different sensibilities, they're very different generations. I think that there's, this participates in a certain category of work, which we're quite, as Laurie said, we're all quite familiar with. It's a known uh, routine where you, by the arrangement and placement of things charged, things that become charged through their commentary, uh, one begins to have a different relationship to those things. I think within that type of art making, this has been done at a very high level. Partly because the essay is exceptionally good. It's an exceptionally well-written, well-thought-out, just good essay. Most of the, the standard for this kind of thing is quite low. So it doesn't have to be very good to be better. But it's actually better than that. It's really good. Yeah, it is really good. But, but, but what about but, the work? But let's say, let's take Svetlana's point. What would make it better? What would make it, what would it look like if this show engaged yeah. with the same kind of aesthetic risk or, or intervention or audacity or uh, surprise, let's say, that David Hammonds engages in? I don't know. But is that even you know, a fruitful direction? What would it look like if, if it was a collaboration with, between Cameron Rowland and Bob Rauschenberg? What would it look like if it was a collaboration between no, you? Don't go in that direction. Well, this that's Christian. You're going different. in. That's what you're going in. Why not go in that direction? Talking, you've only, you're you've only brought about, up. You're talking it's about to be honest with you. I mean, David, David was very polite and subtle about it. But what he was suggesting is that the only reason you bring up David Hammonds is because he's another African American artist. And so, so, really, in fact, uh, with respect, I think is the court you, you you mentioned Rauschenberg. You could go downstairs to the Donald Judd Foundation. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's a it's, space it's, that it has, is redolent it's with it minimal art, but it's not it, minimal it, art. It, is it? it doesn't have Why much. Did you say Rauschenberg at be, that moment? Because someone who could make 
an installation out of virtually any found object. Right. Sometimes with intervention, sometimes without much intervention. The, you know, the, I'm the mini, devil's the, advocate but, for but, a moment. But I think the, the aesthetic, but David's right, the aesthetic in Cameron Rowland's piece has nothing to do with Bob. The aesthetic has much more to do, let's say, with, or, with um, uh, Cornelis. Andre, or, or, yes. or Andre for sure, it's yes. that. I mean, it looks, it's, mm. stylistically, it's, it's visual cues. Mm. It's closest stylistic relative is 60s Bob Morris and Janos Cornelis and so on, yeah. which is fine. That's not, that's not a criticism at all. That's its aesthetic vocabulary. The funny thing okay? is, though, we only would think of uh, Cornelis, and, uh, and Cornelis is a good call, good, good call. But, you know, we're thinking of him because we're in artist space, a classic Soho loft, exactly the kind of space in which Morris and Jardin people did things with found industrial materials. But um, context is all, and it seems to me that this, this is simply, uh, this is found, this, isn't even, this is not even found, it's not appropriated, it is citational. It, it's about core text, right? It's about, it's about uh, the political issue. And so, if it, let me just say, if this brilliantly written essay ist goes on in 10 or 15 years to be elected senator or something and and people say you know he started out doing an art installation in soho i i would be proud i'd think my little introverted cozy silly little art world produced a man with his vision who went on to do something to reform prisons and galvanize the public and be one of our leaders. I'd be very, very proud of him. For the moment, unfortunately, we're looking at this show and the essay is indeed moving, but we've got to address the formal problem here. Using that, that space as nobody else did. Look at those heat pipes, look at the windows, look at the fact that we're in this kind of worker's loft Yes. He's using that. I want right. to uh, right. say a right. couple of things here. Uh, first of all, I don't. I think that the uh, bringing up David Hammonds was appropriate because the major thrust and goal of uh, Cameron Rowland's work is to address the extraordinary horrificness of the right. disproportionate number of Black Americans who are in our right. uh, carceral uh, institutional system, and it's a, it's appalling. Even if we go to the fact that America as a whole is appalling, we're the first in incarceration, this is really appalling. So both men, African-Americans, are addressing this right. uh, oppression of African-Americans. So I think the reference is apt, and it's not just because they're both African-Americans. Secondly, I think that this is one of, I think is the only instance where the verbal intention behind the work is absolutely powerful and matches 50-50 the installation. You cannot just say, let's just look at this installation, start measuring it against installation art of Robert Morris or something. It's just not the same thing. It formally might look it, but it absolutely isn't. When you know what the stuff is, it takes on a meaning. When you look at Robert Morris's stuff, it doesn't take on some external meaning like this. When you look at those manhole cuts, I'll never look at a jury bench the same way in my whole life. Actually, I sat on one and she told me to get off it, which I thought was interesting because apparently it's a work of art. Right. Okay. So. Yes. Well, I, it, it is by virtue of being in, um, 
is, is for, by the, the institutional theory of art would, would have us believe that you shouldn't sit on it because it's a work of art. But, um, um, well... Well, this, listen, this, this, is a, this is a very familiar... Familiar argument. Way of, way of working. You drag something from the outside in, right? And you make a um, you transform it. You make a riddle out of it, right? And the riddle says, you know, whatever it says. We're more kind of cross between a riddle and a scavenger hunt. If you, you know, give me three jurors' benches, two bales of wire, two lashing bars, and two firemen's uniforms. You know, it's it's a it's a well trod path, which fine. Everything in art's a well trod path. That, that's neither here nor there. It's just simply, he's operating within that. I think, at a, as I said, a fairly high level. Um, the um, don't worry about the images, David. They're just doing a loop. Say it again. Look at look at these yeah. fine people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he's a young guy, right? I don't. How old is he? Well, you, you said that, you know, whatever an artist does is their intentional work. I say whatever person is showing, they're old enough to show. So, yeah, uh, you know, seriously. I, I, so, okay, he's a young guy, but that's not an excuse. I mean, uh, he's a sophisticated guy. He's on the cover of yeah. Art Forum. There's something that the, uh, the art world... And, and by the way, we decided to do this before they put him on the cover. I mean, they may have decided to put him on the cover, but it's the zeitgeist. We're not chasing after Art Forum here. But look, the, the art world wants to pay attention to this guy. Is it because the art world is just part of the real world, and the real world needs to think about the issues that this artist is addressing? No, I, it's a no, good I, show. No, I, it's I think, a good I think, show. It's a I dead, think, boring I, show with an earnest, very well-written no, 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 essay. But it, it, no, no he, it's a boring he, show. He come, did on. It, he, come on. It's the issue that's interesting. You should tune in and listen to... You should it's read about the issue. It's a beautiful, beautiful, insightful show in a space which is transformed by those objects. Yes. I'm sorry. Exactly. They're, it's very easy to imagine a truly terrible version of the show. Good point. Yes, I agree, it could be worse. But look, <laughs> that's not good enough. Come on, it's, it's, these things are props. The main, the, the main well, event the in the that show that, is David, the essay. the fact that they're props, why is, that a net, why is that a bad thing? What's wrong with a prop? Okay, what's wrong with a prop is that you don't, you don't go to the theater and pay money just to see some really good props with no acting. You, 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 there'd be a problem if that happened. Wouldn't there? I mean, you don't, you, don't, um, you don't buy a book by a well-known author and find that it's, it's empty but got some, a beautiful cover and, and, and just say, well, you know, covers are good art. What, what's wrong with a cover? No, look, it's, 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 uh, uh, you can accuse me of getting trapped in the Leia Kuhn thing, but you go to an exhibition and you want, you want to be... You want the, 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 the torso to say, change your life. I was ready for... I'm ready to be told to change my life. I had already actually decided before I went to the show, quite nothing to do with the show, that there's something appallingly wrong with America in many respects, one of which is the number of people we incarcerate uh, in general, and in particular the number of members of minorities we incarcerate in general. But you know what? Bernie and Hillary have come to the same conclusion and they're talking about it. And you know what? Even Ron Paul and even on one occasion Ted Cruz have said the same thing. So it doesn't need me to be changed on that front, but I didn't need changing anyway. And, and these firemen's uniforms are not changing me. They wouldn't change me if I was a bigot. And they're not changing me even though I'm a liberal. Okay, let's, 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 how do you feel about, let's say, I mean, the, the, the aesthetic world that this piece is participating yeah. in? 
How do you feel about Christian Boltanski's work, for example? Well, that has... Well, a member of the audience it's, couldn't wait for the interval, but it's a valid point. <laughs> Nonetheless, Felix Gonzalez-Torres would be a more interesting example. You'd but ask somebody who could do it better. Why? Why? Because he, his work is so multi-layered. You have those sweets in the corner. You can take one away. The sweetness actually literally makes you feel sweeter and happier. <laughs> and yet at the same time, you know that you're spreading a virus, and it's a virus that you're thinking about in doing the work. So that is just, that's just genius. I can't believe this little country painter is the one who's going to say that this is a really powerful show. Right. Now, I am here to say, yeah, sure, okay, it took a backstory. So what? I mean, you know, and yeah, maybe the art world partly likes it because it's a nice liberal cause and they can all get weepy and feel good and then do nothing about it. And that is a problem in general with any kind of political art. It's preaching to the converted. Yeah. That said, this text matched these works in a powerful way. And I am here to say, okay, I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew the statistics, but I didn't know in my gut. I didn't know that when I sat on that damn bench that it was made by prisoners. I didn't know that the whole thing is a looping system and all that stuff we're looking at out there in anything that has to do with the state or a lot of not-for-profits, those desks when you walk in, I didn't know and now I know something. So maybe in my, that little way it'll seep out and I will do something political. Excellent. I don't know. The audience is bursting and I think we must let them have their say. So uh, let's... Let's let we don't want to burst, right? So, we, uh, but but both exhibitions are up for grabs. But let's start with Roland, and uh, I just like to do, uh, notice a parallel or similarity in both Kalimnik and Roland in that they are part of an art system that does exactly what was said by uh, Ms. Fenrich just now that it is a nice liberal cause but nothing can be done about it, or that would be a nice uh, gesture, but nothing can be done about it. My impression of Karen was always that she was a kind of permanent kid, and, but you can't go any further. And my I, I can't understand a word. Can you speak more clearly and slowly? She's a permanent kid. You can't go further with Karen Klimenik, mm. because she's in the art world. You cannot go further than what she does. She is almost in a trap. That's my impression of her. Now, in terms of Cameron, uh, the show is very motivating. Uh, I haven't done something about issues of land and property. I have tried to volunteer ideas about what to do about reparations. And I find that in the art world, you may not do that. Because you may not say anything that would infringe on the territory of the artist. Well, we're not trying to infringe on the territory. We're actually trying to get, to get a discussion. We're trying to provoke an action. And the art world itself is now on trial because we have to say, after that cover in our forum, will anything happen? Will there be a genuine addressing of the problem of reparations and imprisonment? Of course. Will we really do something, or will we be stuck of course in this not. aesthetic realm? And I think that's really the challenge with the, uh, well, not quite with Karen, but certainly with Cameron's show. It's a great show, it's an important launch. Will the launch take off? Right, okay. Will it, be, will it stir us to action? That will, in a way, that should be perhaps the, the, the measure, the criterion. It, the, the review panel is doing its job of oh, discussing oh, its oh, aesthetic you, merits, oh, but you, really you, the, the you success would, or failure of the show would that, be... That, that's totally... Um, whether we are stirred to action. You wouldn't ask 
the criteria of, although no one ever saw it, but you wouldn't ask the, that same criteria of Diego Rivera's Marxist mural that was meant to go in Rockefeller Center. If people looked at that mural and all of a sudden threw off their shackles, I, I mean, Davis, that's the wrong criteria. Yes, it's the wrong criterion for Rivera's mural because Rivera's mural is a mural and it's a beautiful mural and it's an original mural and it's a, a stirring mural. And it, uh, his agenda was to stir the masses, but Mr. Rockefeller's agenda was to decorate the walls. And so if it does a bit of each or some of each or something in the middle or something unexpected that's neither of those two, it could be a success. So um, there has to be some, okay. That, ba bad criteria for art. Let's to be fair, way. Roland has that it's, lawsuit it's, it's going. It's an intentionally bad criterion because, right. I guess I do want to speak more to your comment, David's comment, about the fact that it feels like props. I feel that if you want to learn more about what happens to prisoners and benches they sit on, you should read more New Yorker articles. When you go into mm. a loft space like that factory loft space, you're quite right. People lived and died, some of them were my relatives, in those spaces making horrible things. Now those are simply spaces that cost $7 million in which very rich people go in and like the way those white rooms make those black lines look. It has nothing to do, the visual experience of that has absolutely nothing to do with anything until you read the man's essay. Therefore, it's not a visual experience in the least. Uh, yes. Well, I think that when you go there, you've, that history is part of your experience. You see, I'm reading it differently than you are. I'm not just reading the text. I'm saying when you go into a place like that with those objects there, right? And where they're there for a purpose. And when you look at the structure of that loft and those heat pipes and think of what experiences happen there, that is all gives a new sense of that loft that just artist space normally doesn't. And so but, I read that as part of the intentionality of that piece. You probably also wouldn't have read the text without seeing the, the, the objects. So even if they're only an aid to study, that's okay. Okay, I just think that's setting the bar very low. I think the real competition is with Orange is the New Black. I've learned far more about our prison system from that show, which is extremely well researched, and, and also been entertained and turned on. So I think, you know, that's, that's the problem. No, I'm not, I'm not joking. I mean, it's another art form, and, uh, but it, it, it actually really powerfully hit all kinds of issues, like what it's like to be transgender in a women's prison. I think you have to be careful when you go to TV and movies, because, you know, I, I don't know a lot of art exhibitions that are going to hold up to a really good Acorn TV streaming murder mystery. It just isn't going to happen. They're really good. I mean, so I wouldn't go into Orange I, is the New Black. No, I'm sorry. I think I prefer Titian to a TV show. I just think that Orange is the New Black deals with prison issues more powerfully and effectively than, than Cameron Rowland does. That's just a fact. It's not either or, but I think we are in the business of comparison because we want to know who's doing it best and who's yeah, but I, who's I don't think us. it's fair to compare it to Oranges and New Why, Black. David, I mean, do you take against the show, though? I mean, you ask us questions. Let me ask questions. You seem positively angry about this show. <laughs> Why? Why not if you don't like a show? That's, that's the way to be. Well, I guess I guess I, I feel. I revisit Karen Kalimnik then. Well, I said yeah, I was I think, angry I, there, thank right? You. Exactly. I think we, I think we because I was angry on behalf of painting. Are you angry on behalf of installation? Um, 
Sure, sure. I, I'm angry. I'm not, I'm not actually that angry. I'm just saying that this is a, a damp squib. And I think, I think but, that but, if, but, we, but, if we make... No, I'm no angry at the thought that Art Forum and Svetlana Alpers and other institutions and individuals I respect are going to respect. make us all think about work that's really transparently well, we, kind we can't, of We can't be responsible for Art Forum. But, let, but no one's addressed the question of how would this show be better? What would a better version of the show look like? What would make it better for you? You're asking me again. You asked that before. I mean, Anybody. Yeah. I mean, David, you have a very clear idea of what it's a not. Hammonds would do it better, is my point. In other words, yes, I think there's something about like, the invention of he, the show he, are you saying, hit you. Are you saying he should have used his hands more? No, I think the text probably hits as it did you. I think the text might hit people more than the show. And in a Hammonds case, you wouldn't have that because Hammonds mostly doesn't have text. I was going to say, there's, right. you can compare them. One writes, one doesn't. Right. But... So, I mean, this is the show he gave us. I don't think it's exactly. you start talking about what would be better. This would it be is better the show if, he like, gave Robert us. Gober, he made stuff? Would it be better, like, Carl Andre, if he found stuff uh, that was more neutral? No, that, this is the wrong way to go. This is what we have. This is I, what I think done. it was the very restraint but that moved we're me. We're taking out the audience this time. Let's go to... Oh, uh, great. Lady. Yes. Hi. So I wanted to speak to Karen Kaliminik's, Karen Kaliminik's work, and I was glad to hear you, David, Kind of speak about David it is a bad painting. name to use this evening. Well, this David Sally. David Sally. Yeah, okay. I was glad to hear you speak of it in terms of painting and its strength in that way. I think that what she's doing is making visible a kind of interior world that existed for a certain class of women in Europe, and you know, uh, for years and years, where there was really kind of no means of expression and. There is art history built into these images and to the painting style and all of the references that she is making, I think, kind of come together uh, to express something that is about failure in a way, and it is built into those paintings, this idea that things didn't really uh, work out for women so well for, you know, until the 1970s, basically. So... I think her work is valid as painting and influenced many, many painters. I remember when she, she first came on the scene in the very early 90s, and I think people like Elizabeth Payton were actually influenced by Karen Kalimnik. And I think that it was remarkable, the first pieces we saw at the Whitney Biennial. I think it was 1993 when there was just a drawing of Kate Moss, which was beautiful. And, and I thought of Warhol at the time, but then you know, I saw Karen, I saw Elizabeth Payton really respond to that image and other people too. And I, I just think she's, you have to think of the whole picture kind of and yeah. remember when Karen started working. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Hi, I just want to say about Cameron Rowland's show that I thought it was, um, Laurie did mention the fact, and I think it's a really important part of the piece is that there's a kind of mirroring going on intellectually in a quite beautiful way in the sense that you will walk through the whole show not knowing what it is that you're seeing or what it represents, and you have to work really hard to understand what it is that it's about. And that's a kind of mirroring of the problems and the issues that he's trying to portray. And I felt that on a kind of formal level, it was very elegant and quite important and beautiful. Good. Yes, yes, I did understand that. David, uh, you want, how many more? Can we take, get the mic to the man who heckled, who's James Hyde, who probably has something interesting to say? 
So uh, I'd like to speak to the uh, Cameron Rowland show. And uh, uh, it's funny, when, when I went through that show, uh, I did not read the essay, and I still haven't read the essay. But what interested me about the, this, this show was the way these actual objects function with the background of what the content is in the essay, the content of this uh, uh, forced labor within the prison system, the predominance of uh, black inmates. So when you have these, uh, uh, these torqued lashings, lashing is like, it, it's, an, it's an important double-edged word. And there's a type of physical quality to those where they are pulled, uh, stretched when they're lying on the floor, not in tension. The, uh, the, the pair of, um, of coats hanging there limply without, without the figure. The, I think the show it was like uh, very evocatively constructed with the objects. Uh, and I don't think you have to go from the objects to the uh, linguistic content. I think the objects are, uh, are resonant with that as a background. And they take up that power. And that's what is the value of that show, is not uh, getting to Orange is the New Black or to becoming militant about things that we all should be militant about, but is the way these objects have been charged by this atmosphere uh, of how they were made and how they make us feel physically when we, when we look at them. Right. Thank it was, you. That was very well put. Thank you. It was, in other words, effective theater. It was an effective piece of theater, which I, I think is true. Yeah. And I think also, in fairness, if you saw the display of receipts uh, framed in the back, if you, were, if you didn't read the essay, but you were paying close attention to the works, that the, the receipts would actually give us the context within which to then rethink the works. I think the works... I think another way that I would say that the installation was intelligent and powerful is that it um, made us rethink, it, may, it was sort of saying to the classic generation of minimal artists, um, check your privilege. Because um, we are, are sort of enticed, when we're in a place like the artist space in Soho and you see something on the floor that's clearly industrial, uh, you, you, your, your first thoughts are to read it in a, in a kind of formal or structural way, a la minimalism, and that then seeing those receipts makes you think, ah, no. So I think that it resonates intelligently at that level. I didn't hate the show. What I hate is when a show that seems to me um, weak or a throwback is lionized and fated in such a way, it means a generation of art appreciators, particularly students, are going to be sort of forced to think through yeah, what might be issues that we've already thought through. David, you should be used to that by now. That's, that's something. Okay, I'm used to it. I, we are going to have to move on because we've got lots more good stuff to be looking at. So, uh, great. It sounded almost... Somebody's mic somewhere must be um, when sitting in a dormant position that... Uh, does something amusing, and it, um, it felt like some heavy breathing during the Amy Sullman, but I think that was appropriate, uh, Laurie, because uh, this, is, this is an artist who's sort of showing us 
everything that uh, abstract painting can do, I sort of feel, don't you? It's, um, it's almost to the point of caricature of pulling out the stops of saying, you know, this kind of surface, this kind of uh, uh, ink on paper, uh, oil on canvas, uh, art is um, installed in this way, art that's just art. Um, I mean, painting that's painting, painting that's part of an installation, uh, painting that's uh, animated into some video reel. Um, is, is, it, does that, does that um, multiplicity of, of, of formats speak to you of uh, uh, fecundity of somebody who's just embracing painting in the round and, and loving its um, uh, various forms? Or is there something nagging and apologetic about uh, needing to try so many formats? You're in talking one, to me? In one show, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> um, You're the one. Okay, well, I want to preface this by saying I, I admire Amy Silman's paintings uh, over the long haul, her career, and I think she is a major painting voice, and probably the major painting voice I had to go almost so this far in the abstract realm, granted there's figurative elements, the major voice today. <clears throat> that said, I want to take the show apart a little bit, not deconstruct it, and I won't be long. I thought the bathtub... Uh, drawings were negligible and really borderline stupid. Organize, take black and white, put it into a grid, do a hundred of them, and I can guarantee you it's going to look good. And stuck in there on the lower right side was that stupid little face. I mean, it was like, I am really bored, I'll just put this face in. And I was annoyed by them. Then you go into the main room and there it, she is with her strength. Those oil on canvas paintings are where Amy Silman's um, I think her rough and tough uh, voice uh, that's also organized by a kind of cubist structure overall comes out, a terrible installation. I don't know why they had to pack so many in that room. Give those things, give those babies some air and I think we would see them a lot better. I will criticize this much. I think she's a little lazy with the color, too much complementary color with a mix to in between. The scumbling is beautiful but, you know, I got like it became a trick a little bit. Uh, I also think she um, suffers from compositionally a little bit of a sense of flaccidness. Is that the word? Flaccidity? I don't know. But they sag, they drop, they droop. The forms, I couldn't help but think of the great woman of my era, Elizabeth Murray, and how strong those paintings were. The forms were always so strong. And Amy's forms are, are dragging downward a little bit. Uh, and that bothered me a little, but I think the way she moves paint is just very moving. And uh, in that raw way, it's a little bit vulgar, but we live in a vulgar time, so it speaks to that very directly. You round the bend and there's those Marimekko pink things, forget it. And then I go into the last room, that panorama. Again, I like, feel I defend painting as a whole all the time, but there's something awful to me about taking paintings off the wall. They lose their magic and they look like they're just talking about props. They looked propped up and they, they lost the magic and they didn't move me at all. But that big room, she has some knockout paintings. Great, there's a lot of caveats there for the greatest living abstract painter, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, they I were mean, gentle uh, we, caveats we, 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 for a painter. They were gentle caveats. But they were, it, it seemed to be a, a bouquet of caveats and I, I lost the roses. But we'll come back to you, we'll come back to you. Uh, because I want to hear more later as to uh, what it is that really makes her so important an artist for you. Now I know what reservations you have. Uh, David, reservations or caveats uh, or enthusiasm? Uh, and use the mic. 
I, I think there's some of the strongest paintings I've seen in a very long time from anyone. They're probably the strongest paintings of Amy's I've seen, certainly in a long time. And she's made many strong, wonderful, great paintings. Uh, I think she seemed to be having, uh, what's the expression, you know, firing on all cylinders. The, um, I think the color overall, or of course, there is no such thing as color overall, the color specifically within each painting, but overall, the color is inventive, surprising, full of dynamic manipulation of weights and measures, color as a structural, weighted substance in itself. It's applied not decoratively, but structurally. It's applied with wit, uh, daring, um, independence. I, th I can't say enough good about it, just on, on the level of um, confronting, someone confronting the issue of um, what color means in an abstract painting. What, oftentimes what people, people say so-and-so is a good colorist, they're not. It means, what a lot of people do is simply draw a line around something and fill it in with color. Sometimes the color can be pleasing and the, the complementaries can be effective, but a color uh, system in a painting is essentially a set of intervals. The intervals between colors are what um, give the emotional uh, charge. And so this, we can say the blue, we can say you know, the blue next to the whatever, but there, there's one painting with I think three or four different kinds of blue in it. There's a mm -hmm. painting with um, lemon, yellow, orange, and, 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 and green, and then just the right amount of, of, um, of, um, of, of uh, ultramarine violet. There's, these are not color relationships which are arrived at easily or accidentally. Mm. They have about them a specific temporal feeling. Yes. The first time I saw Amy's work, and I discovered it to my embarrassment, I discovered it rather late. I, I, I just simply didn't know a lot of things that, over the years. I saw her work quite a, by, a, quite a, um, by chance, and I was struck by the, what I thought was the period feeling in the color, I couldn't tell if it was, had made, if the paintings had been made in San Francisco in 1968 or 1970. They had a, they were clearly not colors from the 50s and they clearly were not New York school colors of the 60s, but they were, I thought perhaps West Coast colors of a certain time. What does that mean? It just means that they were new and the, the, densities of the color, the value mm. range in the color, the sense of interval within the color was deeply thought, deeply felt, had the musicality, which is very uncommon. I can't think of anybody to yeah. compare her to, really. I think, I think what you're hitting on there is, is what I find most intriguing, at the same time potentially satisfying in Amy Silman. I, I share the enthusiasm for her art in general uh, from, with Laurie and David. Um, when I first saw her work, um, the script I was given, and it's, there's, there's no denying that however much you think you can have, look at a work fresh, if there's a buzz about an artist going around and, and you are a listening per individual, 
part of the art community, it's hard to go in without that buzz sort of ringing in your ears. And the talk about Amy is that what was clever about her was that she was um, sort of playing a game with a certain kind of reading of salon abstraction of the 40s and 50s and in her work. So it was, it was presented as, being, as not being kind of innocent on the surface abstract painting, but somehow being at one and the same time that and a commentary on painting of the past, in particular, a certain kind of abstraction. And I don't know. I don't. I mean, this is this is the this is precisely the narrative in the art world in general. Sorry, David. That just drives me up the wall. But you were actually saying the same thing without realizing it, because you were saying sometimes the color was putting you in mind of a certain no, no, kind no, of no, West no, Coast. No, no, this is this is completely different. There mm. there are resonances, references. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. reminders, aromas, perfumes. That is, that is concrete right. and observational. To say that someone is, that the narr narrative around someone's work is that they're noodling around X while flirting with Y, that is simply not the way any mature artist makes Mature artist, work. but if you look at her statements from that time, that's actually what she was saying, right? It just, it's just, it's just, a, it just let it go. It's a narrative that people, you shouldn't pay attention to. It doesn't uh, mean I won't pay attention to it, even though she said it herself. Okay, fine. But um, actually, uh, her inclusion in the Forever Now it, it interested me also, uh, Svetlana, because um, she was almost given a like a chapel-like or closet-like space to protect her, as it were, almost from the antics around her to do sort of pure paint. And, and now, given the whole of, well, not the whole, now playing out in Sycamore Jenkins and co, um, it seems like it's flipped that, that there are closets within this show where she does sort of forever now-ish things with painting as prop. Um, how do you view the diversity of formats within this show? Do, do you think it's you, trying different things? Are you things? addressing me? I am, yes. Okay, uh, well, unless there's another Svetlana on the panel. No. <laughs> well, you yep. were sort of talking there, and well, I was here, and I didn't I know. mentioned your name. I thought that would do the trick. Okay, yeah. look, I, I'm sort of, I'm the odd woman out here. Um, I, I really didn't understand. Let's talk about the main room, and I absolutely agree there's just too much in there with fewer paintings, but Sycama has problems, it seems to me, in insulation all the time. It's an ugly gallery, they don't know what to do with it, but they have some good artists and they get away with it. In this case, I just don't know what she's doing. I don't know what her problems are. I don't know what would be a good painting and a less good painting. I just couldn't understand it at all. Now, I'm coming from a position which is unlike the two of you, right? I'm not a painter, but I've looked at a lot of painting, right? And it just seems to me that in a sense, there's a lot of abstract expressionism around, and I just think it, it's lost its way. I don't think it is any more of a thing itself. The abstract expressionism are you, are you talking about as it Amy, started is Amy's gone. Or abstract and I think abstract expressionism is now not in a good way. But Svetlana, what painting are you talking about? I think exactly? in general, abstract expressionism who, is not who, in a good way now. Who are you I'm talking not, about? I'm going to talk. I How could it be in a good way? They're all talk, dead. I can talk what? about your two shows. No, 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 that's, that's, that's off, that's I'm, I'm not gonna give a lot of names. out of bounds. It's a problem. Maybe everybody in the audience thinks I'm crazy, but I think there's a problem now. Sorry, excuse me. So do you think abstract expressionism is an ongoing idiom, but it's no, in trouble? No, I think it's run into trouble. 
but, but deep it, trouble. Most of us thought it was finished in 1949. Did we miss something? What are you talking about? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just abstract saying expressions. My, my I think she's still. saying Amy's paintings are expressionist and they're mostly abstract. And so she's. Right. I think that's what right. you're saying. Correct? Abs they are abstract paintings. They're not <laughs> representational paintings, right? And I think abstract paintings are right. in trouble now. Well, she does have references in those paintings. They're very clear, the legs, I, I mean, know, I know. or curtains. But I don't know. I, don't know. I kept reading them as I, curtains. You, perhaps one of you could explain what is the problem she's dealing with? I mean, she's not dealing actually with the world. She has that amazing comment she made in that booklet that came with the show in which she said that seeing makes her feel ergo sum. And I'm thinking, you look at the world and you feel ergo sum? Surely the world makes you feel it's separate from you. And here's somebody who's saying, no, it's me. And I think that is really deep in it. It used to be deep in her painting, in her more gestural painting. And actually, when you go close to these paintings in the big room, they're more gestural when they look at a distance. I mean, the gestures are still there. It's a not they're and, still there. And I mean, what, what's the point? Wait, and and I suppose I I have a taste for art that looks at the world, Robin, that tells me how you feel inside. Well, I oh, no, well, I, well, I, have, so. I, I, I have no say idea what you're talking about. Okay, I, I that's wanna, problematic. I'm an abstract right, painter, okay. and I want to say something really here. Yeah. I think that you either accept, you can't go into a painting show where the painter is a, a major abstract painter, she's her life commitment is to abstract painting, and then hold it against her that that's her endeavor. It's like right, if you yes. go into an embroidery show, be prepared to see some embroidery. Right. I mean, she's an abstract painter. Yes, she has some references. Lots of abstract painters now bring in references. I think she's taken the expressionist mode of abstraction. There are two modes, generally speaking, Wolflin-esque. There's expressionist and more classical. She's taken that expression as well. geometric, rather. Uh, yeah, okay. So whatever polls you want to say. Right. She's, she's got a vigor, and she's bringing a liveliness. You can feel her exploring. It is true. That is one thing that the press, for the first time in a long time, the press release matches what I saw. She is taking stuff, building it, scraping it down, putting stuff on top of it. And you can feel her doing that. That's a wonderful thing in painting. A lot of times you go in and you can't feel any of that. It's like... Mm. turn these things out. You do feel the, the structural thinking as she went along. You can see the evidence, the tracings of what came before. Mm -hmm. I think it's all really on the whole. You said, what did I like about it? I think one of the great things, she, she's, it's just, I'm sorry to use this word, I know it's banned, it's up there with the word quality, but she's one hell of a talented painter. She can right. move that stuff. And a lot of people can't. Yes. They don't have a feel for paint. Absolutely. I don't know to well, what well, purpose, well, but she certainly. Well, let, well let's talk about what. But but, but let, I mean, a great a great let's musician. Let's talk about to what end. Right. Let's talk about to what end she moves the paint around, whether okay. you think she does it well or not. The other component in Amy's work is shape. Mm. It's it's really seems to me what she's doing is arriving at a shape which is engaging enough to create a spatial, kind of little spatial play around, which is, as has been said, a little bit of game of lost and found, lost, found, lost, found, you know, found, lost, found again. And that's a very familiar way of working for many, many decades, doesn't make it in any way less valid. Mm -hmm. But the there is an interplay, a reciprocity between 
mass, color, gesture, and shape, and that continual um, feedback within those qualities, those elements, it either is alive or it's not. Mm. If it is alive, it, it, we'll know it by the result that feels both inevitable and surprising. I think some of these paintings achieve that. Right. Of that concatenation of yeah. things could, could have been different, probably was different half an hour ago, but thank God this is the way it ended up. And I, yeah. and I think that's an admirable, yeah. palpable, uh, sustainable and legitimate endeavor. It's got nothing to do with what anyone else is painting. I don't give a fuck about any other expressionist or blah, blah, inner world or outer world. It's painting as um, uh, highly practiced, highly aware, highly sensitized, mm. um, you know, days long, weeks long, months long activity. Yeah, and well, it, it, I don't, it I don't is, know what else do you want. Well, I mean, what's, I mean, what's a better yeah, version of this? I, I mean, you, you say, uh, you, you know, what problem is she dealing with? I mean, and and how is she depicting the world? I mean, look, uh, well, I think what they, I think what they, she. Use the mic. Inner world than the outer Savannah, world. What does that mean? Okay, that means the kind of change you see in an artist like Shirley Jaffe, who in the 60s switched from being a gestural abstraction to doing the kind of work, and she's still alive and kicking in Paris that she does now. That is from inner to outer. That's how she describes it herself, and mm. that is true. There's an example I would give you of what I'm talking about. But abstract painting is really, it's a cliched notion now, but I think Walter Pater was right. All, all the arts, certainly this art, aspires to the condition of music. And if you went and heard uh, a jazz musician um, struggling and and bringing forth just beautiful texture and sound and 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 and, and feeling, you wouldn't you, we wouldn't ask the sort of questions that you're now asking about Amy or 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 that people would say about abstract expressionists with a very small a and E, um, painting, um, you, you wouldn't, it wouldn't just, it just wouldn't be on the agenda, but just show that you, you don't get this medium, this art form. And this is, this is what abstract painters of uh, a loose, gestural, non-geometric, more organic, more referential, more personalist, not expressionist, thank well, you, idiom do. So that's what she's doing. I would like to chime in that I, I think, uh, all abstract, I mean, abstraction has been around a long time, right? A hundred plus years now. A million years. Since uh, the caves, so well, the MoMA had no, it wrong, right? You know what I mean. Western style abstract art mm. really begins in the 1910s. That's what I mean. Right. Uh, but I want to make the point that it has always reflected the moment in which it's made. So I don't think when we say abstraction, it's, just, it's, a, it's a thing that, that we try to unite all these things. But I think that I've looked at a lot of painting. I'm an abstract painter. I think, I like to think anyway. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to be tested. But I think you can tell these paintings are made now. There's right. something in them that shows the struggle with chaos, the struggle with too many elements, and trying mm. to find a way to hold them together. It's that Yeatsian center won't hold thing going on in mm. her paintings. It's manifested in these shapes tumbling and falling and wrestling with their line that gestures and weaves around them, a scrawled line 
that sounds so easy to make, but only some people can make it, and she did it right, you know? Right. So I think there is a way in which it is not looking inward. She's got plenty of looking outward into her, our, our world of collapse. And that's what I meant when I say, I think I see in those paintings a fair amount of collapse. Take a look at those compositions. They're bottom heavy. I've, you know, any painter can tell you that. They sink, and that's part of their speaking to our times. And I think also the forms which are ragged speak to our times. Again, I pointed up, I pointed to Elizabeth Murray as a, a contrast to show how much has changed just in, in those 30 mm. years. Right. Let's just uh, wrap up with uh, Silman by specifically thinking about uh, works in the show that uh, depart from the conventional format of a canvas um, or a page. Uh, so the works like a panorama in the back or the 100 examples in the front. Svetlana has certainly been vociferous on the, the latter. Um, but David, what, what's your take on, on her venturing into that sort of territory? I just think that it's, it's, it's generous. She's showing us what her curiosities and interests are. If she chooses to show it, it's fine. And I don't have any criticism of it, even if it's not what I would have Not the best done. she does. No, I, I, I mean, you could hang, yeah. as Svetlana rightly said, you could, have, you could hang a very different version of the show, one that might be more likable in some ways. But it's the show Amy wanted to, to hang. Right. That's, that's the show we have to deal with, just as we said about Cameron Rowland. Yeah. Um, I, I, hmm, what was the point? The, um, the earlier point, I don't quite understand the difference between inner and outer mm. world, but the, um, I think the point is, whether it's true for Karen Klimnik also, that everyone has a certain vocabulary, a certain, if you call it talent, gift, predilection, habit, their style, you mean? Well, style, it, it, you mean? It, it comes together in a style. Okay. The, okay. Sty the style is, has component parts. Okay. Mm -hmm. And those component parts tend to repeat and mm -hmm. be familiar and have. So, what a, what a, what a, what a dynamic style is, essentially is, is mm. continually drawing up like new. Um, you know, variations on those component parts right. or new um, uh, refinements or you know, whatever. They, they come, they're still, you can still make them alive, so use them right. in a live mm -hmm. way. So Amy Good. very clearly has certain motifs, what painters might say moves, she has certain moves, which she does, mm. whatever again, certain uh, linear quirks that result in a certain kind of fattened pear shape or or, or elongated leg shape with, yeah. a, with a truncated shoe. They're only, and there's, there's some vaguely anatomical ones. So that, my point is not to try to describe them all. The point is to simply to say, that's art making. You have, yeah. you have I, I was thinking of a, a little bit of a windy analogy today. With the, oh, it just popped into my head. Okay. Is it too late? Not too, not too windy. <laughs> the, no, it's, it, it takes one second. The, okay. uh, if you remember to the lighthouse, the the character of the father, who's modeled after Virginia Woolf's father, Leslie Stevens, I think in the book he's called... Uh, uh, doesn't matter. Doesn't Let's matter. go for it. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and he's, he's a philosopher who's depressed because his philosophy hasn't 
he hasn't been able to clinch the prize. He says about himself, well, some men could get all the way to W. He's making an analogy between the alphabet and brain, and brain power and percept yeah. perceptivity. Um, I got to Q. And he consoles himself. I got all the way to Q. Mm. I didn't get past Q. But many people only got to U. I mean, only yes, got to exactly. you know, M. I got to Q, all the way to Q. And right. It's his way of dividing up humanity between yeah. you know, the extremely brilliant and the you know, so super brilliant. Yeah. And this, um, Amy's just moderately brilliant. Yeah, he's, well, okay. he got to Q. He got All right. to Q. So, David, David <laughs> you know, um, I, I'm a little nervous because I'm, uh, A, thinking about Mika Tajima and, and that yeah. she's entitled to some yeah, attention, and B, my dinner. So let's... Uh, <laughs> let's well, that's, but that's the whole point. You can, that is the you point. Can, you can extrapolate from that on your own. A unless, yeah. you're a, uh, unless both the artist and the person looking at the artist is, is a real uh, cold-hearted... Uh, anti, um, you know, um, uh, a, a, a very cold, Ramsey is the family name. Ramsey, that's right. A, a very, very uh, cold-hearted anti, uh, a pragmatist of some sort. You would not expect any artist not to have their own motifs. I mean, when you listen to any piece of music by Richard Strauss, you know it's Richard Strauss immediately. But you know also that each opera has its own character and. It belongs to its own period. And the same is true of any good artist, Amy Simmel included. Um, okay, let's go on. Music, good segue uh, for um, Tajima, Mika Tajima, showing at 11R. I'm just remembering it was my intention to try to end the PowerPoint uh, with a night and day contrast between. If you stayed long enough in the gallery, you had the interesting sensation that these sensory devices, um, and these uh, pre-programmed uh, Wi-Fi's and things would uh, induce uh, very different lighting effects. Perhaps she should team up with Karen Kalimnik and uh, we can have a moment of illumination when we can actually see the paintings in the back uh, installation. But um, um, this is a very unusually complex show, uh, at, while at the same time sort of refreshingly simple show. Um, is that a fair characterization, Svetlana? Yeah, interestingly enough, when her gallery showed her at the piers and at the armory, there was no light effect or anything. Well, it couldn't simply be. Had yes. the mm. we I know, and they were fine. In other words, mm. one of the questions I had about her work, which comes with almost a huge iconography, we might say, mm. is that's important for her in the... Ma I liked her work a lot. Let me just preface it by saying I really liked it. And... but. There's a huge backstory to it all. How these things were made, that they're portraits of women weaving, and it's a jacquard loom, and this is related to the computer, and that the panels, we're looking at that now, but that the plastic panels blown from the back are related to the gold standard and gold value, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I just like the objects, and I was curious about the need for all of this. What I liked about her works is to go back to my distinction that you're not happy with, that they simply were attentive to the world, obviously attentive to the world. She is listening to things, she's recording things, she's, we don't have a hint about what she feels about anything. She, it comes that way, it comes indirectly. And that I have a feeling for and like. But I was curious as to what 
all of this back material, this over-intentionality where it goes. And my sense is, it's a little bit like in Renaissance art, the patron says, I've got this great idea, would you please paint this, this painting with all these ideas in it? We get the painting later, and except for some artist and who wants to unpack it, we can really enjoy the painting without it all. Perfectly possible. And right. I think that's the same thing with this. I think she needs this to make. It's very interesting mm -hmm. to me. I don't know what'll happen later. But so far, she's needed a huge backstory to get these things going. And I wonder if she'll do that forever, because I think it's extremely good art. And she needed it, but will she always need it? Right. I, that's fascinating. Um, I was going to delay the uh, conversation by bringing Silman back, but I won't. Um, <laughs> Laurie, do you think it's okay to sort of half-read, misread the work the way Svetlana seems to be implying that we might do? In other words, not take on board all that complex iconography that allowed the work to come into being, but just take the work on trust? Is that a sort of formalism, or is that actually just a pragmatism, or is that, is that okay? That's just called reality. Okay. Well, oh, reality. I, I want to okay. say that I, um, you know, I'm a good little student, so I did my work, and uh, I think the payoff was tremendous. When I found out what had gone into making these things, I think that it's um, an example, and, and she's she's more than an example because she's really good at this. But she is a direction of a certain kind of artist now, the research-based artist who, like a diligent sociologist goes and gathers stuff. I mean, it's astonishing. I couldn't write papers like this when I was in college, and these, these people are just whipping them out. But her, uh, this installation was clear, rigorous, fascinating. Uh, and I won't do an exegesis on the whole thing, but I, I'll skip the gold standard one, which wasn't nearly so interested as the Twitter feed one. The Twitter feed one, for anybody who didn't go, I think I can do this fast, Cliff Nose version. Uh, they took a section of Cairo and a section of London, they streamed live the Twitter feeds from these two areas. Then a computer programmer came up with a way to read the language was, were the people happy or were the people sad? When they were happy, that was translated in a program that then was fed into these sculptures, which are stretched over, this translucent material stretched over these ergonomic chairs, and they get warm and glowy when the people are happy and then they get cool when the people are sad. So if they're coming out of work and they're saying, I'm tired, the program, if enough of people say that, they get cold right. and the light turns cold. I it, thought you know it, it was it's, it's, beautiful it's, and fascinating. It's, it's gift store art. No, I didn't think it's, that. No, I thought a, the really good things were the panels, the two oh, panels. Oh, the panels okay. were wonderful. But, but, That's but really it's, 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 it's gift store so art, David. Much. David, so yeah. much more trouble than it's worth. I can't believe it. It's, I'm a right. painter, it's, and it, I'm enjoying all this shit I'm it's, seeing it's, out there. Well, did you like? It's, it's did you square. like no, no, the no, no, things no, on the walls? It's square. It's really square art. <laughs> well, so it's nerdish. It, too, too much. Too, too much. Uh, I mean, to be, it's just nerdish. really square and to boring. To be fair, yeah. to be fair, though, there is conceptually speaking, it is. It is. The, if you go up close to those, um, what she calls acoustic portraits. There's a kind of beautiful fabric stuff going on. But to be fair, what she, what's going on here is she's compressing audio information because she took the rackety-rackety-rack sounds of the loom, mm. compressed it into a visual program that then these women spun out. So it was kind of like Robert Morris, the box to the sound of his own making. They're ordinary. I think no, they're quite no, And awesome. they were really very beautiful up close. That said, they also, are, they also are the upholstery fabric that is used yes. in corporate couches, just right. so you want to know. 
I found that out talking to the students. It seems to be, seems why, to be why, a very interesting. I thought, again, I think that the, it's worth the payoff. This kind, look, first of all, there's a lot of artists out there doing this kind of research stuff. I just came back from teaching at the San Francisco Art Institute, and half my graduate students were doing some kind of intense research project that I didn't have a clue about, and their art was modeled on this sort of thing. So, uh, if you don't you know, like when it, when I was putting, when I was, uh, when I was putting the to, payoff when I, that matters is yeah. what I said. When I was putting the program together, I thought it'd be too easy and too obvious to put um, to put Silman and um, Kalimnik together, and then these other two. Now I kind of wish I did, because it, it's a fascinating to me, a point of comparison between Roland and the show. But the, the point of comparison is that Roland has a subject that he is clearly, and we, and, and should be, uh, the subject came first. The subject is what passionately interests him. He happens to be an artist, and then he ch funnels his art he follows that subject through his art. Uh, this way, this, this artist, it's the other way around. She's got that sense that the way to make the art uh, rich and fun and quirky and connected is to use Twitter and use Wi-Fi and use this and use the corporate that and uh, use this data and crunch this data and fold this data in this way and that way. But in other words, it's the form. In other words, what, in other words it's all it's intentionally drivel, the subject. Who cares what people are thinking in Cairo and what mood they're in? It's, it's arbitrary, and it's intentionally arbitrary in order just to give it the texture of idea. No, no, I, I, I have to step in here. That's not at all what's going on. What she's trying to do is take this absolutely ephemeral world of the digital world in which yes, we all but, live. But Laurie, Laurie we, we, we don't care what she's trying to do. Well, we, care what she, we care what she did do. Well, wait, wait, wait. It different. is interesting to see this digital world compressed and pulled into these little art objects. There they are, glowing and pulsing. I thought the yeah. art objects were interesting, and my question was, couldn't we just, what's the point of all the yes. intentionality? So I kind of agree with you, but I yes. like the art objects better than you do. Right. That's the answer. Right, that's interesting. I think all yeah. that stuff is excess, like fancy iconography in Renaissance paintings. Okay. Can go to town on it, but you still can look at a Raphael Madonna without knowing why is the, the microphone. Here, why okay. All right. So if we're looking at one of those um, like pseudo Rothkos, but made out of a sort of fabric that looks like a texture of uh, uh, the, co the the covering that you put on a, 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 a an old fashioned speaker from your <laughs> Uh, hi-fi uh, hi system, not Wi-Fi, hi-fi. That's okay. a chair, right. that's a chair wrapped that's around. A cha that's a chair wrapped around, but when you look at one of those like red bleeding things that... Uh, <laughs> those uh, acoustic portraits. Acoustic portraits. If you look at one of those acoustic portraits, um, you're saying, forget the information technology that got to that form, just enjoy the form. And, and I think what David is suggesting is, so yeah, you're right, but the form sucks. Right. Okay, is that right? Right, and I, I disagree I, I, I with that. I care neither for the information technology nor for the result. I think right. it, it just, to me, looks like sort of last year's art, last year's model. And, it's, and, it's and, and Laurie, are you able to, to grapple with the form as form in itself, or do you have to have the... The form as form in itself is really not good. It's not right. that interesting. The, the things are kind of beautiful in that, but I would never give they're two... They're pretty, they're not beautiful, right? Right, they're pretty. They're I, I, they're okay. they're, they, I wouldn't give two seconds to it if it didn't point to this oh, wow. world we live in. So there you've got four totally different points of view on one artist, which in <laughs> itself is a mode of success. Audience, let's get to you. Uh, Amy Silman, 
Amy Salmon. What do you make of Amy Salmon? Let's wait for the roving mic, if you would. Coming, coming from Joel Whitney here. Thank you. I want to make one point about Amy Silman's installations. I've seen, I think probably, well, every show she's had for the past 20 years, they've gotten more crowded. People continue to want to say that they're overhung. But just as Ms. Fendrick, you're saying that uh, the work reflects the time we live in and that it reflects the chaos and the crowdedness and the, um, and the way the world looks and the way that the paintings are weighted toward the bottom. Don't you at some point want to say, the fact that they're overhung is content, that that has meaning, and that they're not just jewels on a wall to be sold in the way that traditionally abstract expressionist paintings are, are served to us. Are you asking me this? Yeah, so, I'm oh. not, so I'm basically saying, I don't think they're over, I don't, I don't like the word overhung. It's like saying that someone is outspoken. I would say that a crowded installation is part of the content. Yeah. We'll yeah, put, you're probably oh, right on that. That's a good point. Because uh, obviously you can't blame Sycamore Jenkins. This is her show. What she's, what yeah. she's chosen to put in and how she's put it in is as much her decision Isn't as the work. Isn't it interesting that she chose to show us so much? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we have to be careful again with that kind of thing. Like, then where's criticism? Like, I, I do think the show's overhung. It's just too much uh, stuff. According to an aesthetic space around, paintings need, I think paintings, I think this is a sub subjective thing, but paintings do well when they're not hung salon style or when they're given, you know. Well, to me, paintings are little worlds that are separated off from the real world by this magic of a little space around them and they have a rectangle and they're flat on the wall. When you violate that too much, you lose some of the magic of going into that world. I found it was hard to just look at one painting. It was so you know, crowded by the paintings next to it. But if other people think that the crowding's part of the message, I can see how you can make that argument. Right. I like paintings with space around them. Okay, good, good, good question and a good answer. Excellent. More on Silman? Anyone else an got something to share on Silman? Um, or, or, um, yes, uh, yes. Wait for the mic, if you would. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not distributing the mic. That's one. I think the, what gets me the first part of the comment about the struggle with abstract expressionism or abstract expressionism is Abstract painting is struggling. When I went to art school, people thought painting was dead. That was like 40 years ago or something. It's so fascinating. I'm so tense now. I mean, I mean every conversation about all four artists has me crazy because it's fascinating, but the way, like when you're talking about Karen Klimnik, it's like, oh, I know, they're really kind of naively painted. That's the point. You know, it's like, she can't paint or she can paint. And, you know, you walk into the empty room and there's these objects, you just put them there. It's the, the dynamics of how art, how we look at it, what we're expecting it to be. Do we need to read the backstory or can the object be on its own? And this is a conversation that I constantly see on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. And I was thinking of Maya Lin's sculpture in Washington. If you walked up and saw that black scar in the ground, 200 after the destruction of civilization. Like, what would you make of it? Would you think it was good? So, I, I, all I just want to say is, like, almost 
above all four. It's fascinating. Thank you. I mean, it's just been so um, amazing to see how much con contentiousness there is still <laughs> exists in art. Yeah, yeah, amazing. We keep going. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right? But you're right, the, the perennial issues, they just never get resolved. They just get repackaged and tossed around a bit further. Is yes. there someone up front? Uh, yes, there is this gentleman who looks a little like Peter Plagans, but uh, we get to him, hopefully. Yes, you. Me? Oh. You don't look like Peter Plagans, but I'd like to hear what you have to okay. say. Thank you. Um, well, I just got handed the mic. Uh, I um, would like to speak of Karen Kalimnik and Amy Silman together. Um, mm. I did not like Amy Silman's show. I, I have followed her career from very early on. You know, I've, I've known her when she was um, not well known and showing, you know, her pieces out in Brooklyn. And stuff. But, um, and I felt this was a very conservative show and I felt her work has been getting increasingly conservative and... Um, what does that mean? I, I feel that this does not speak that much about now. I feel it's much more what? based, I feel it's more based in um, well, let me talk about Karen's work, which I, I agree with you, David, that it's not her best show, and I've also followed her work since she first started showing at 303, but I feel that Karen is very engaged in now, and I feel that she's engaged in not just the art dialogue, but a dialogue in the world, is a dialogue it, is, with is the there media more, is there more of than the one, world. Is there more than one now, or is there only one now? Well, no, but let me, the, there's a way in which she's engaging the contemporary world. I feel that Amy's work is involved in, in a, a dialogue about painting that has, that is in a, caught in, inside of a cycle um, within abstract painting now, which I find, and I agree with you, is getting less interesting. And there are some artists who I feel are pushing edges of it much more than I feel Amy is. Um, I think she's a very good painter. I think she's a very, very good painter, but... I don't feel that she's pushing any edges and I don't feel like she's telling me anything new in her paintings. I see, um, I'm so bad with names, especially when I'm nervous, um, the Ocean Park series, um, the California, uh, Diebenkorn, thank you. I see a lot of Diebenkorn in her work. I don't see, I don't go in there as a painter and see, feel like I'm excited by it. I feel like I see things I, I know. When I see, I also feel, because I've known Karen's work for so long, I feel things like I know, but I also, I was uh, troubled, I was uninterested and interested in a lot of that work, um, and I thought about it when I left. I thought about it a lot when I left. I thought, what is Karen, what, how is she engaging the world? What is she, and she's, to me, she's talking about, um, a lot about the, the disengagement, that sort of romanticism, the, the kind of floaty romanticism of, um, of our media yeah. culture. Fantastic. But, that, but that's what her Thank work you. has always been in, involved with. So why is that new? I mean, well, I'm, I'm no, no, no. Sorry, the mic's going to someone else now. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. No opinion, but just a humiliating little anecdote that might say something about this business of intention. A long time ago, I was in a, I don't know, an intermediate painting class. And the as, professor, as a student or a teacher? No, as a student. Oh. 
hundred years ago, and uh, I defended something that the professor criticized by saying, well, I meant it that way. And the professor said, at first I just thought you were incompetent, now I know you have terrible taste as well. <laughs> um, it's this, is it a rabbit or is it a duck of, you know, was it an accident and, you know, was it intentional? That's all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, I think that's a, a wonderful thought to end the evening on. And, uh, ooh, I very much look forward to seeing you all on April the 12th. You and two friends each to hear um, Lance Espland, Cara Rooney, and Robert Storr join me to look at exhibitions of Judith Braun, Omar Fast, Molly Lowe, and Betty Tompkins. Oh, and by the way, I was supposed to tell you at the beginning of the evening to turn your cell phones off, but instead I'll tell you that you can now turn them on again. <laughs>